As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. How do you talk about a football game that everyone saw in prime time that was a victory but sort of felt like, if not a loss, maybe a draw? How do you maneuver a a game like that? What do you do if you're starting a podcast and that's the game that you're looking back on? Guys, should we just start with trade deadline news? I think we start with trade deadline news. Of course. Yeah, I'm in favor of that. Okay, well then we'll do that here on Times Ours. The first voice you heard there was Nate Taylor. The second one, uh, a little late, you know, missed his cue by a little bit, but I try to do too much pre-show choreography today. That's Seth Kaiser. I'm Joshua Briscoe, and this edition of Times Ours is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. We, we will talk about Chiefs-Giants at some point, but we got like two pieces of actual pretty relevantly large news uh, at the trade deadline. I don't know if you guys saw either of these moves coming, um, but two pieces of news out of the gate here. The Chiefs do trade for Melvin Ingram after we had episodes talking about Melvin Ingram in the spring. Uh, he is now a Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs sent a sixth-round pick to uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers and added him. And then just a little bit before the deadline, they sent away Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. He is, uh, he is going to the Jets, and the Chiefs, in exchange, got Dan Brown, not the author of The Da Vinci Code and all those other books, but a, uh, a special team or tight end for the most part. Played about a dozen offensive snaps this year, I believe. Yes. Um, we can we can start with either of those. In fact, Nate, we're, this is very. There's no open to today's show. Sorry, I just I just realized how serious this has been. But you know, we have a lot to fit into this episode today. Uh, Nate, let me let, let's go before either of these moves went down. If I would have asked you on on the last episode of the podcast here, did you think that that either of these moves were likely, unlikely, uh, definitely happening? What was kind of your feeling whenever you saw these come down? Yeah, I would have said. Um, the odds were very low. Um, I'm a bit surprised that the Pittsburgh Steelers um, granted Melvin Ingram uh, the ability to uh, be traded elsewhere. Um, it helps that they get a six-round pick. But for the Chiefs, it's honestly a good move because it's a, it's a low-cost 
Um, you know, some teams traded fifth and fourth round picks um, ahead of the deadline. So the Chiefs come in favorably with just a sixth round pick for someone who may present um, another element of the pass rush. And then, um, look, when it comes to Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, as a, as I said yesterday on, on Twitter, this was the first game that he had been active all season. Um, you know, he had been doing the respectful, honorable veteran move of, of obviously helping the rookies along on the offensive line, uh, helping Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown understand uh, the scheme. But it's clear that he wanted to play. Um, as Seth mentioned and others have, he had to waive his no-trade clause, which I always thought was, like, the best part of Laurent Duvernay-Tardy's contract. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a right guard that can't be traded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a real chance for him to play with the Jets, um, and he wants to, you know, start the next phase of his career. Uh, he has not played a snap, ladies and gentlemen, a single snap. Uh, in the regular season or postseason since Super Bowl 54 um, when the Chiefs were victorious against the 49ers. So um, he gets to go to New York. Um, He gets to have a chance of maybe playing later on this month for the Jets and the Chiefs clear roughly around a million dollars in salary cap space uh, that can be used if they want to claim somebody on the waiver wire. Um, Don't tip me, Nate. We're going to get to that person in a second, who that could be. And we're, I'm going to be irrational for a minute. We'll get there. But when the when, when yesterday's noon kickoff started, the odds of the Chiefs getting milk from Ingram were less than 50%. Um, but I think the Steelers didn't really want to have Ingram be sort of a issue all season long, so that benefits the Chiefs. Uh, because there were no real other teams bidding for his services. And as we mentioned on the previous episode, um, it's at least good now versus later for both parties to acknowledge that they probably should have came to a deal in the offseason. So this this deal sort of happens three months longer than it should have. Should have happened around early August, fellas. Um, So at least they rectify that on both sides. Um, and the Steelers can say, hey, look, we at least got a draft pick and a sack. Um, and you just hope that Laurent duverde tardif plays again and plays well in the league and has a nice stint with the with the Jets because um, that will pave the way to whatever his uh, free agency situation is. Now, you're probably wondering at this point why I haven't mentioned the other player. And we now move to Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I have I have a job. We're talking about Ingram, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Ingram's by the way, Ingram, the headline here. Everybody else is kind of uh mechanically functionally necessary. Yeah. Um so Melvin Ingram, I did not think I would be charting his snaps today. Um but then I was because Frankly, the day job was a little more depressing than normal and anything to escape the hellish existence that is occasionally my job. I was like, yes. So 
That is even funnier whenever you imagine that Seth is doing this podcast into one of those plastic microphones that makes your voice sound funny, <laughs> which is sort of what it sounds like. I, I don't understand we, what's we going on. troubleshooting pre-show. It's, I, I don't, I'm I, using I the same mic know. that I've always used. I don't know. Um, so Melvin Ingram. But we know. All right. Don't tweet us. We know. He doesn't sound the same. Melvin Ingram, uh, interesting player to chart, and he was someone that I wanted the Chiefs to grab in the offseason. Um, you know, one could think, you know, they're playing chess here because the Steelers paid, it was like $2.9 million in signing bonus, which the Chiefs, because of the trade, they're not responsible for that. So they're paying him a lot closer to the veteran minimum. Yes. And, you know, check, that's chess, my friends. That's accidental chess, but chess nonetheless. <laughs> um, so oh, basically. Oh, 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 Bishop to, ooh, okay, okay. <laughs> See, and that's where, like, nope, that's a knight. Nope, nope, not that. That one can only do an else. But anyway. So Sorry, guys, the, we're actually, we're, we are playing checkers right now. We just put chess pieces on the board for no reason. <laughs> so. The the interesting thing, and I know people are going to want to talk about the Giants game and Patrick Mahomes, and that'll be whatever. But we'll we're talking that. about this first. We'll um, the interesting thing with Ingram is that the Steelers were willing to part with him at all, uh, let alone for you know six round pick and to an AFC team that they might be fighting for a wild card spot if the Chiefs manage to not get boat raced in the next couple of weeks, which that's a whole nother ball of wax. Um, so what I expected, I was curious to see if he looked completely washed. Um, what the deal is, I, if I were to say like one thing in terms of why Ingram wanted out and why the Steelers granted it, I think the Steelers granted it because they don't keep unhappy players around. That's not their thing, right? Like Tomlin keeps the peace there. And if he can't keep the peace, they, they get rid of, they're, they're not going to deal with all that. Um, I think there was a difference in how he perceived his role should be versus how they played him in it with the chargers for years. He was basically an edge guy, right? You could call him an outside linebacker, but he played edge, right? Whereas the Steelers kind of had him wandering around and blitzing from the interior, especially when TJ Watt was healthy. And they, they had obviously had a couple other edge guys that they really wanted in the rotation. So they were kind of moving him all over the place to, to places that I don't know if he was necessarily comfortable with. And I think it took away from his efficacy because he was at his best early in the season when he was playing almost exclusively edge. So I think that's a big part of it. In terms of being washed, I would just say that he's a guy who I would call a competent pass rusher. And that's a compliment. Um, it, it It's more than what I would say for like, you know, Mike Dana, right? Whereas Dana's a guy with a high motor who can help clean stuff up, but he's not a guy that's going to win very often one-on-one on his own. Whereas Ingram can, but he is not a game wrecker. He's not a star, but he is a guy, if he's your third best pass rusher or your fourth best pass, if he's your fourth best pass rusher, you are cooking with gas. If he's your third best pass rusher, you're cooking with a very respectable grill. Okay. Uh, And what's the meal? What, what, What we got? I, I, I will. That's where the, the Chiefs pass rush situation is going to continue to depend on whether or not the recent resurgence quietly just been two games. Let's not get too crazy of Frank Clark, who low key is playing pretty well the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, but Seth, the Titans boat race the Chiefs. Yeah, it's because everyone was open. 
I mean, there was nothing the pass rush could do against the Titans because Tannehill was like, I'm just going to throw this ball to wide open receivers or on a couple other plays because they had like eight dudes in protection and you just chucked the ball down to one-on-one. That's a whole nother ball wax. They're still, their pass rush, whether they want to be a good pass rushing team, is still going to rise and fall on someone being the second best pass rusher. That's kind of got to be Frank Clark, right? They, yep. Chris, Chris Jones is a star. Um, they need that number two guy. Ingram is not a number two guy, in my opinion. But he is a competent rusher. He wins with power. And it's kind of fun to watch. And so that that I, I charted, I suppose I should, man, I'm doing a terrible job promoting myself here. I charted four <laughs> of his past four of his games pass rushing snaps for the Chief of the North Newsletter. But Seth, the trade just happened today. You did that already? Yes, you're absolutely right. I did. Where can um, people read that again? Because I can't the, remember for the life the of me. People can read that at on the Chief of the North Newsletter, which is Minnesota Chiefs That's not Ooh. what it is. It's MN Chiefs fan, because if you type out Minnesota, it's not going to take you anywhere. Darn it. It's mncheesefan.substack.com or bit.ly slash Seth really hates money to subscribe oh. for $12 a year forever. And I charted four of his games, just the pass rush snaps. He looks relatively competent against the run. He's surprisingly strong for a smaller player. Can He can set the edge a little bit. He's smart. You can tell he's been playing for a while. Tracks down screens pretty well, which, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, for a six-round pick, I, I, I think... If you, if you drafted a six-rounder and he played like this guy, you'd be like, holy crap. Um, the thing is, it's a rental, right? Yeah, yes. that's not really how yes. it works. Yes, it? yes. Yeah, I've yeah. just stayed out of the way because hey, I really hey. wanted you guys to evaluate Melvin hey. Ingram, the football player. I'd like you, to talk about the process at your guys' convenience. Hey, right. hey, look, just, hey, just look. Hey, 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 boys, fellas, you know, this time last year, it'd be an eight-game rental. Now it's a nine-game rental. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Huh? That ninth game <laughs> could be our season, <laughs> and and it's an incredibly cheap move. It makes sense. They need help, and you can see the potential there. It, on paper, Clark Ingram Reed Jones is really scary, but on paper isn't how it's been working out with Reed who quietly played pretty well against the Giants as well but again it's the Giants so we'll see what happens go um, ahead go ahead Josh just just let everybody it, know that that this should have happened 3 3 months ago <laughs> so that's that's the thing lots of people and i think Seth lays out the just what Ingram is right now and if you hear all that and you think you know what i'm glad he's on this football team i totally get it and I also understand that the Chiefs are saving about $3 million here by trading for him now as opposed to signing him back in March whenever he was in the building. Now, we could have a conversation about how much you know each draft pick is worth in terms of like salary dumps and stuff like that. We've seen a couple trades, even even Von Miller and the you know the Broncos are paying a, a significant chunk of his salary so the Rams don't have to carry as much of his cap hit, all of that. You know, Brock Osweiler was the first sort of example of that happening on a major scale at the NFL level. It happens in the NBA all the time. We, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to make you guys all play along with uh, how, my, how many millions of dollars is a sixth round pick worth. Here's what I'd like to throw out there. The idea that Melvin Ingram and this is just sort of a general thing I've seen on Twitter a couple of times, the idea that Melvin Ingram could still move the needle as a pass rusher, but that the Chiefs should not have spent $3 million to have him during the most frustrating stretch of football games they have played under Patrick Mahomes by an incredibly large margin where that defense has been terrible. 
it doesn't compute to me to say he's going to really help, but he would not have moved the needle very much over the last eight games. And some of those games he wouldn't have, right? Melvin Ingram doesn't change the Titans game. But if he gets to Lamar Jackson one or two times, if, if he gets to Justin Herbert once on that last drive, well, we actually might be talking about games turning. Now, I'm not willing to go back and say Melvin Ingram on this defense instead of Alex Okafor, who they you know brought in afterwards for a cheaper price, to be fair. Um, I'm not going to say that swapping that out moves the Chiefs from four and four to six and two, because I don't know that. But I think logically, if you have to try to track all of that to say, again, this is the right move at the right time, it doesn't make sense to me. I I don't think that that's really a a valid argument to take at this point. Now, if you say, hey, it's the Chiefs admitting that they messed up by not bringing him in three months ago or six months ago, um, then then fair enough. Like you, You can say this is them admitting a mistake and trying to fix it, but then you have to admit that that's at the cost of a sixth round draft pick. This year's sixth round draft pick is most people's favorite pick, it seems, rightfully so. Trey Smith has been incredible. Um, Rashad Fenton was a sixth round pick and late picks are, can, can be lottery tickets and all of that. But Brett Veach has gotten value in that range. You know, Darwin Thompson in the sixth, if he was on the active roster, he probably would have had 12 carries for 50 yards yesterday. The idea that, again, this is just like, this is a part of the master plan is really silly. And I I think we're even seeing it at receiver as well. Like uh, pass rusher and pass catcher, I think we're probably the two biggest needs outside of the offensive line over the course of this offseason for the Chiefs. They did not bring in a uh, really any outside wide receiver. They did not bring in any meaningful pass rush help. And then they bring in Josh Gordon midseason. Not that he was available before that. He just gotten activated. And I still think that move made total sense because it cost nothing. But they bring in Josh Gordon midseason. And now they trade for Melvin Ingram in these moves that, that feel like they're trying to, you know, the flex seal commercials, it feels like they're trying to slap a piece of flex tape over a, a hole in that big cylinder of water that's just gushing water out. And and maybe it makes things better. Maybe it works out swimmingly. I, I'm not even playing the result on any level yet. The process, though, makes me really frustrated because it's very avoidable. Am I off base on anything from either of you there? No, I just I just know that sometimes egos get involved and you know the the idea that a veteran free agent would go to a place that gave him the most money is just it's it it's it happens. It's fine. Sure, absolutely. Uh do better than Alex Okafor then for plan B. And that's yeah. Yep. And look, nothing against Alex Okafor, who's a fine player. Professional football player. But, you know, there's a reason the team just went and traded for Melvin Ingram. Um, And that's sort of where this team is right now in terms of its roster. Uh, And, again, you know, trading someone who is a veteran, who has shown value in the past, who's been a constant in the locker room, effectively for some cap space. I mean, this is sort of where they are um, while also being a team that's four and four. And it's, it's hard to know where to go forward um, when you're in this situation and you're still trying to convince yourself that you're competing for the ultimate prize. Um, It's, 
it's a it's honestly a captivating and fascinating stretch in the franchise history. And I don't know if like our listeners or fans in general quite feel the same way, but I would just ask everybody, is there any quick solutions that just have not appeared? I mean, there I I wrote a month ago, <laughs> fellas, I wrote a month ago that a desperate team made a desperate move in signing Josh Gordon. And in a month, he has one reception for 11 yards. But at the time, that seemed like a reasonable, possible solution. Just like these two trades appear that way today. Who knows what we'll say a month from now. Um, but it's a fascinating point because... They're not completely out of it, but there's no, there's just so many ways of trying to fix this. And I don't know if you have a, a great answer, Seth, um, as to like how they could, you know, win consecutive football games, which they have yet to do this year and um, return into being true contenders. Like what's the best path for them to do that? I mean, the problem that they're currently facing right now is that their best player isn't playing well for two games, right? And there's nothing you can do about that. When you're when your franchise quarterback, the Chiefs aren't built to win when Patrick Mahomes plays poorly against almost anyone. Um, and I'll go back and I'll look at the film from the Giants game. There's a lot of people that are already rushing to lump it in there with the Titans game. I guess I'll decide once I watch it, because the, one of the things, I mean, people love to pile on during the broadcast, but I, I can't see the receivers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. Is it? Oh, I can see the receivers. <laughs> yeah. I, it's one of the things that I wanted to ask specifically about. And I mean, let's, let's, let's flex into the giants game here a tiny bit, like right. or a lot, I guess. Were guys open, Nate? Because that was my number one question from you guys in the press box. Is were there receivers open who, who were not number 10 and number 87 being doubled the entire time? Not purely doubled. Andy Reid's talked about, he used the phrase halo technique, which I thought was yes. visually uh, very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Seems um, like a good football coach, that guy. Yeah, let's... I'll let's, be the first to say it. Look, these things have a way of building on one another, but but quickly... I know everybody's saying, well, what about that 15-play script? I mean, what about that first drive? I mean, it was just dinking and dunking them to death. Well, until you get into the end zone, which is – or until you get into the red zone, which is kind of like the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, those plays are the ones that you have the most confidence will work based on what the opponent may show you. And then there's another 45 minutes of the game where you have to adjust, the other opponent adjusts to you. And then, honestly, it kind of comes down to who can win their matchup. If your name is not Tyreek Hill, you were not open last night. Mm. And that's shocking to say because I felt like there were plays that, and I think Seth is going to look back at this, and and I'm interested to see your, your thoughts, Seth, later on this week. There were plays designed to get Kelsey open. And A, he didn't get open. B, he would drop a pass. C, he would slip and fall. 
D, he would get, you know, roughed around by the Giants, which is a clear defensive principle from the Bill Belichick line of thinking, which is beat this man up in the five yards that you have the ability to do such. And then everybody else wasn't wasn't really getting open. Um, there was one shot where I felt Byron Pringle was open deep. Mahomes did not hit him. Uh, Tyreek Hill had a chance of winning a deep ball in a one-on-one situation. It was the one true chance they had on play action. That didn't work. Um, look, there's a play, and they showed it on ESPN earlier today. I think on NFL Live. And Dan Orlovsky, who I have an immense amount of respect for, is, is looking at Mahomes' mechanics, which are totally something to uh, analyze. I'm looking at Josh Gordon, and I'm just like, you know, this ain't it. This this is not it. He's not open on the initial route. He's not open on the secondary adjustment of whatever the coverage is. Mahomes scrambles to his right, and you would hope when the quarterback extends the play, it would be a little bit simpler for the wide receiver to find an open space mm-hmm. toward the same side of the field that the quarterback is scrambling out to extend the play. A, Josh Gordon doesn't do that. B, he's not sure where to go. And then C, he turns his back to the quarterback and runs deep. Um, I don't know if they've schemed things up well for Josh Gordon or if they're just saying, hey, here, like, play within the natural flow of our offense. <sighs> but the big one of the biggest takeaways from that game was, man, if they don't have Tyreek Hill there's no way they're getting down the field um, for the majority of these drives. So looking at it in real time from the press box and then rewatching the game earlier today, uh, not a lot of guys got open. And it's one of the rare games where Travis Kelsey just wasn't the receiver that he normally is, which Mm. I feel is partly due to some of his own mistakes. But I also get the sense that he's not 100% healthy. Yeah. So yeah, that I don't context, think, Seth, go for it. Well, it's we we have to keep in mind that it wasn't but just a few weeks ago because now I'm you know people are talking about Kelsey. It wasn't but a few weeks ago that we were marveling at Travis Kelsey and how great he's been this year. Correct. I think he got nicked up a few weeks ago, and I think he's playing hurt. Um, he he just he, he see he looks like he's playing hurt, and I I would also note that the. The the Giants did a really good job. They they've got a stud corner in Bradbury, who they did not hesitate to use on Kelsey, um, which is the way to go, right? Because you're not going to put a stud corner on Hill is a bit of a different thing because there's such a physical disadvantage there yes. that you still have to double. You still have to halo, right? And so you might as well put your second best corner on Hill, halo, and then put your best corner on Kelsey. Uh, that that that's just the most sensible thing to do. Um, I would just note some of the stuff Orlovsky's talking about because I, I agree with you in terms of you know guys getting open and that kind of stuff. That there there are issues there. I'm curious what it's going to look like when I chart every snap because against the Titans, the number of times that he had options and didn't take them was alarming and unusual. And so I'm curious if it's going to be the same thing. And until I until I chart those snaps, I'm just not going to be able to know. Um, look, it, look it, it, Byron Pringle, God bless him, didn't get open last night. 
there's a reason why the the there's a real reason why um McCall Hardman had the longest completion of the game on, on a, a tw- pop pass on a 24 yard pop pass off jet motion um I think a lot of fans would feel differently if the first drive ended in a touchdown and not a freak turnover. And a lot of fans will feel differently if Mahomes throws a slightly better ball on that deep pass to Tyreek Hill in the middle of the field and doesn't let the DB get a chance to sort of recover. Um, right. But well, outside, but outside of that, there are just some there are just some games where the quarterback can only do so much because. Just look, man. And I mean, ESPN kind of highlighted it quite a bit too when I rewatched the game. Like, circle. Is he open? Pause it. Is he open? No. Well, the quarterback's throwing a lot of interceptions this year. Are you comfortable with the quarterback throwing a 50 50 ball right now? Because the quarterback doesn't feel comfortable doing that. Therefore, he'll extend the play. Anybody open now? Nope. Okay. Well, live to play another down, which he did wisely do towards the end of the game, Patrick Mahomes specifically. Um, to at least give the Chiefs a chance to score points, um, and thank goodness Trey Smith fell on the on the fumble recovery because holy no kidding, no woo, kidding. Woo. But heck of a six round pick that guy. That was that was an impressive uh, that that was impressive awareness by him. Yes, and I, I would know it before we get too hung up on the idea of a six round pick. I mean, they I knew I I said it. They could have dropped it. Let this go. Fourth round or the third round. Or the, they I did mean, it. They did it. If they didn't have that sixth round pick, do you think Trey Smith is a chief? I don't know. Do you think they took Cornell Powell at 181 and thought we can wait 45 picks and Trey Smith will still be there? Maybe. Maybe they were hopeful for it, but I mean, he'd already he'd already landed that far. And I just I just think it's I just I, I totally know what you're getting at in terms of the fact that six round picks can have value. But I, I just want to be sure that no one thinks that we're arguing that because the Chiefs hit on Trey Smith in the sixth round the sixth round carries this inherent value of a Trey Smith. You're obviously not arguing that, but I'm, I'm just in advance. I'm, I'm drawing the, that. I'm drawing the sting is the, is the, is the terminology there. I, I want to make sure before anyone says to you on Twitter, well, Josh, I mean, isn't that a disingenuine argument? And that way you can say, well, no, it was just an example. Unfortunately, it's, it's just that it's good that they had that pick, you know, whenever they traded up for Noah Gray, they didn't give up a draft pick. They just scooted some things around. That was good because you had that extra pick there. They also have like, I think they have like three sevenths next year. Um, so maybe well, thank that God. Well, then, then they don't need that six round pick because they'll just draft, you know, slightly worse players than Trey Smith with all three of those. I'm sure that will be <laughs> no luck. And I mean, and when and you know what, Seth, you're so right. When is when is a desperate move for a veteran pass rusher ever come back to bite? <laughs> no, it's never. It's always worked out. Well, as long as you get to define the terms, absolutely. You just gonna find him in freaking March. Hey, absolutely. That's all. And that's hey, all this take is about. All is you they can need to do and inside him in March was just, bring Luca Brazzi to the meal, to the meeting. <laughs> And assure him that either his the, signature or his brain would be on the Did you see who the Steelers the added to replace Melvin Ingram in yes. their defense? Yes. Taco so, Charlton! Say his yes. name. Yeah. It's but, just, hey, but hey, you got to think about this like this is Terrell Suggs just coming no out No one else was interested in Melvin Ingram. If anyone else was going to offer a sixth round pick, don't you think the Steelers, would, or if they thought he had any gas left in the tank, send them somewhere else. They don't. They, they don't. 
And look, I mean, the, obviously the Chiefs and Steelers are uh, evaluating defensive ends differently, which hey, makes sense because right. the defenses are different. But. Yeah, and, and and Seth, I'm sure. I mean, this is just a friend asking a friend, but how many times did you roll through them clips and be like, you know who's really good? T.J. Watt is so good at football. <laughs> <laughs> T.J. So Watt can play. Oh. Um, it's. It'll be. I don't remember how we ended up down this road before I tried unsuccessfully to save Josh from myself. <laughs> uh, you, inter- you interrupted me. Is how we got here. Oh right, right, right. No, because we, we were we were talking about uh, we were Trey Smith about fell moves. in the fumble. Yeah, well, yeah, but he fell in the fumble. I, it is an interesting thing to me with what's going on with the receivers. It wouldn't surprise me if they just kept throwing mud at the wall until something sticks and tried to claim Deshaun Jackson because they're in an unusual position for themselves in that they could actually maybe get someone on the waiver wire, hmm. which would be hilarious. Um, and that that might be the route they go where they just say, we need guys that can get open. And as far as I know, I think Deshaun Jackson can still get open a little bit. Deshaun Jackson has been open 40 yards downfield behind the entire defense for as long as I've been watching football. It's not an exaggeration. I will not. I will ask you guys if you want to be objective about if they should try to claim Deshaun Jackson or if he clears waivers and they bring. You guys can be objective about it if you want. I'm not even going to try. I've loved watching Deshaun Jackson play football since I was in diapers, which I would have been, I think, 14 or so, which is probably uh, maybe a a little too long to be in diapers, but I'm not willing to be shamed for that. All right, this is rookie year. Let's find this out. We got how long I've been in diapers. I mean, in terms of being being objective, he looks like he's still got a good burst. He still tracks the ball well in the air, and he's a veteran receiver that's played in Andy's system. I mean, it just depends on what you think of everyone else they have. If the issue is these other guys aren't getting open, then I mean. Don't you just at least keep trying? You know, if Gordon's not getting open, you'd hoped that he was the answer. Well, it's not working out. Hardman hasn't been what they'd wanted. Pringle's not doing it. Robinson's not doing it. So then you keep throwing mud at the wall to see what sticks, and it doesn't really cost you all that much. And so it's at least worth thinking about. But I'm a kind of a I'm kind of a kick the tires kind of guy, right? To where it's like, eh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And then you go, <coughs> wow, that's a lot of dust off the tires. Okay, <laughs> okay, wow. And sometimes, <laughs> and Nate, I'm glad you brought up uh, Suggs, right? Yes. Yeah. Because very often these types of signings are Le'Veon Bell. Sometimes they're Mike Pennell, right? Mm. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes. They the fit hero a, you need. <laughs> the, sometimes they just fit into a perfect niche, and they've got just that that just that particular skill set you needed in order to push things and be greater than the sum of their parts. Mike Pinnell made a much larger impact on the 2019 Chiefs than the 2020 Chiefs even because he fit perfectly into a very specific niche yes. that they absolutely needed. Yes. And maybe maybe that's an argument. Maybe maybe that's Ingram. Who knows? But like At, Suggs, it was the same thing. Like yeah. he really helped that yeah, playoff ask, push. Ask yourself this, right? But where's the Mike Pennells? Where are the Terrell Suggs? Where's yep. the where's the Kendall Fuller who can change positions in the middle of the year because Juan Thornhill went down and be effective? Yep. Um ask yourself all those things. And by the way, quarterback playing at an incredibly just historic Super Bowl Hall of Fame caliber rate. Um hey, it'd be nice, <laughs> be nice if we had the peanut butter and the jelly. So, let me say it now, ladies and gentlemen. It's okay to it's okay to it's okay to realize that the Chiefs 
are interested in the football player that has been open 40 yards downfield that Joshua Briscoe has watched Uh-oh. since he was a pup. Oh, I, I need to hear Josh be completely non-objective on this now. No, no, I just, I just love, I just loved watching him play football. I also have something that's going to really annoy Seth if I can, if I sneak this take in before he has to disappear into the shadows. So we've got two, two directions we can go on this. P- please go. All I'm saying is, uh, Deshaun has to uh, clear waivers. Uh, that may take a little bit of time. Uh, the, obviously, the Chiefs, based on where they were last year in the Super Bowl, they kind of last at the list. So um, we'll see where that goes. If they don't claim him on waivers, that does not mean that they weren't or. Are well, aren't they higher up on the waivers now? No, it's based on last. It's based on last like, year's result. Do they freeze all year? Okay. Yeah, it's based on. They last freeze year's all result. year. That is bull crap. <laughs> hey, next year, next year though, just draft order. Right? Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, right. I, I believe I, it's based on last year's last year's uh, end of season standings. Yeah, I do have to finish. vanish into the ether yes, in like I'll, two I'll minutes. Like, can, I want to hear just, what Josh is going to say that annoys me. No, I'll just give you. I just want to give you a little homework. It's just I don't know if you happen to see it all, but just go, just go watch some Michael Pittman Jr. highlights before next episode for me, would you? Because if you're going to yell at me about being revisionist on a draft, I'm going to go back to that one. I'm going to just look at 33 and 34 because it's not revisionist. Because at the time, I remember talking about you got a running back at 32, two receivers at 33 and 34. I'm not just picking the best dude that went you know halfway through the third round or whatever. I just you, saw Michael you, Pittman were, Jr. Were you, do some really good jump ball stuff. He did some really nice. He's he's a very nice receiver catching passes from disaster Carson Wentz, and uh, and if T Higgins is on this roster, I'd be interested as well. But Michael Pittman's looked pretty good. Absolutely, I wish they would have taken Brady in the sixth round. You know, I yeah. Mean, no, I'm I'm going should have drafted two. Russ I'm going I'm going Aaron one and Donald, two picks. Should have traded up for him. They, they needed a receiver at that point, right? Like for the long haul, we all knew that. I, you're smart. You were you were on that at the time, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's what I argued for. Yeah. Until they did something different. And you know what? Oh, Actually, then I just pointed out why they might have decided to do something because the ability to see something from both sides. When someone does something I don't agree with, I don't assume it's because they're stupid. I assume it's because they had reasons. So then I try to figure out their reasons and explain that to our dear listeners. Yeah. Their reasons were bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> way, to, way, way to communicate, boys. Go read his piece on uh, Melvin Ingram. I'm sure it's better than his uh, his absolute fear in his heart that whenever I want to talk about the 2020 draft again. The fear um, is, yeah. is a real Shaking thing. Don't boots. let fear dominate your lives, people. All right. I'll see you guys. See you, Seth. Take it easy. I knew I had to bring that up when Seth was still on with us because otherwise people would have said that I was a coward for waiting to bring it up uh, when Seth was gone. You know, yeah. I, felt, I just felt it in my heart. But hey, I you just, you, you know you you are you have the higher ground because you're still here. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I could I could say we paused there actually whenever Seth left and uh, he said some really mean curse words to me um, and told me that. Well, I he told me what you know, a Chiefs player may have told some Titans fans. And I just thought that was really strange to hear from Seth is all. Yeah. I'll keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so do you, you, you are saying, Hey everybody, go, go ahead and keep your eye on the Deshaun Jackson front. Yeah. Do you think it, do you think it would, it would matter at this point? Or what do you think the odds are that it would matter? I would be excited. I'm not sure it would change anything. And here we are again at a 4-4 team where I don't know where the solutions are (laughs) outside of, can Patrick Mahomes go back to being like world's, you know, 
destroying, you know, a, a, a Death Star in the form of a 15 jersey. Uh, look, um, yes, there are, there's a chance. Uh, there's always a chance, Phyllis. Um, I do get the sense that it's not just the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, there are some teams in an, in a pretty wide open AFC minus like, I'm going to give the Bills two more weeks. Yeah. Are you listening, Buffalo? Buffalo. <laughs> I'm going to give you two more weeks. Just back it up two more games. And then you are the clear class of the conference. Despite losing to a team where Derrick Henry kind of ran all over you. And yes, your quarterback slipped on fourth down. But at least as of right now, still kind of a wide open AFC. Um, it's clear that some teams still have some deficiencies. And so is it easier to just put more points up than the other team? Sure. So... Here's the issue. Uh, the Chiefs still need to invest in Josh Gordon. They have made that decision already. They need to stick by him. Um, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman uh, continue to find ways to get them to play uh, to their potential. If you bring the Sean Jackson aboard, Josh, how do you make of a wide receiver core that has a clear number one and I have no idea who's number two on the receiving depth chart. I I we're in week eight and I don't have a clear answer. Let me because so here here's my immediate thought is like, well maybe it's just simply somebody who can run downfield and just make a safety look at him, you know? Just he's not gonna come in and be the guy that's catching seven yard passes over the middle. But but maybe there just has to be some respect from these safeties that are devoting all their attention to Hill and Kelsey. But if that was on the table, like maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but couldn't McCall Hardman do some of that? And I don't I don't I don't feel like we see him just running a nine route very often. You know what I mean? Like I, so yeah. I don't know. They used I don't to, know if that's imagined by me. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I, yeah, they used to do a lot of interesting things where they would have Hill. This is like towards the end of 2019. But they used to do a lot of things where uh, it'd be a three-by-one and both Hill and Hardman would be pretty much lined up together. And depending upon uh, what they thought was a more favorable matchup, they would have Tyreek run a, you know, intermediate crossing route. And then they'd have McCall run the deep cross to run across the deep safety's face to make him... Make a decision. Are you going to sit on Tyreek Hill because he is who he is? Or are you going to honor another fast receiver running deep across the field um, with, you know, Mahomes looking right at you? Uh, They don't really do that anymore. Um, Part of it is because, as I'm saying, Hardman running across a deep safety's face, that was just one. Not two safeties. Uh, but it is fascinating to me that outside of one deep catch against Washington, I don't believe there's another highlight where McCole Hardman is beating somebody 30 yards downfield. Um, so that's a bit of a mystery to me from a coaching standpoint. But at the same time, I thought they ran quality plays to get Travis Kelsey open, and, like, none of them worked. <laughs> I shouldn't say none of them. Basically, two of them worked. One, 
He caught the ball, ran upfield, fumbled, never want to see that. And the second one was, hey, caught the ball, made a man miss, ran upfield, and got a phantom uh, face, face mask. mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, okay. Yeah, decidedly uh, was not a face mask. Yeah. I think it was, I think that he had the ball tucked up by his face and somebody yeah. was grabbing at the ball, I think is what it was. Yeah. So that's two completions when I felt like there were eight to be had. And for whatever reason, the other six were were um, thwarted by either poor quarterback play, the receiver not doing his job, that being Kelsey. Uh, sometimes the offensive line uh, didn't hold up that half second longer for the route to fully open up based on whatever the coverage was showing. So, um, yeah, I just – it's tough because, okay, well, who caught the deepest completion – Past the line of scrimmage, Josh. Do you know who that person was? I don't. I no. I don't. I'm. I was, was trying to think what the trick question is, but I don't. It was Demarcus Robinson oh, on an 18 yard yes. completion against yes. heavy zone coverage. Uh, so how many more weeks, y'all, before the Josh Gordon experiment becomes stale, past due? spoiled um it's just wild so hey go and bring in somebody else i mean this is an industry and i I love mitchell schwartz but he also mentions this too like this is a this is an industry where it's like hey if you if if we can find somebody that can do something like run 40 yards downfield and get open Mm -hmm. then we'll go get that guy so Mm -hmm. hey that might be where the chiefs are right now Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about with Seth that uh, bums me out because he was talking about this and, and the Chiefs did it to a pretty good degree, I would say. We talked a lot last week about where it, where it would make sense to run the football more often for this team. And, and Seth wrote about it. I think that actually I think that came out after he recorded yes, that episode. So yes. If you haven't seen it, go go check out that piece from Seth. It's um, almost it's we, almost like Marcus Spears took everything Seth yes. wrote and put it on a national audience. 
And because they re- they referenced on Monday Night Football a couple they did. of times, they I did. Like, Louis mm-hmm. Riddick's out here reading Seth, I think, but it might have just been you know uh, reading the plagiarizing. Uh, Mark <laughs> no, so, I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, that seems like what you were insinuating. Oh um, come on! Why no, are you doing me like that? <laughs> no, he, he talked about it. I'll I'll, t- I'll double down. Actually, I'll, I'll I'll go the other way. He he talked about it on on a clip I saw from I think NFL Live yes. before Seth even put it to paper. Oh, so, well, hey, you know, great minds can speak alike. That's right. That's right. Independently of each other. Correct. Uh, but but Daryl Williams ends up getting total most work. Derek Gore, in terms of actual carries, Derek Gore had that drive where I think it was five consecutive carries ending in a touchdown run from him, uh, which if you I, I think we talked about Derek Gore briefly on the preseason and training camp and everything. But yes. he's the, the the newest name out of the backfield to take note of. But but Daryl ended up with 13 carries for 49 yards. Derek Gore had 11 for 48 and the touchdown. Uh, Daryl Williams also caught six passes for 61 yards. So he was a very heavy, very heavily involved in the passing game, which is not terribly uncommon in general. He's been their third down back really for the last year and a half for the most part. Um, but there was a lot of short stuff that we can talk about as well. But they did run the ball. Pretty effectively and and a little bit more often got away from it in the second half. And there were some interesting things on Twitter today about just sort of how the Chiefs continue to not run the ball in the way that is most advantageous to the offensive line that they've built. Mm -hmm. Something else that Seth has talked about, not quite as many power concepts and all of that. I do think that's really interesting. I also thought it was pretty clear that that that. Gore on that line doing most of his work up the middle was working pretty well with the defenses we've seen teams be playing the Chiefs with uh, over these last few weeks. So what did you make of of kind of the ground game in general there? The most stress-relieving, exhilarating, get-it-off-everybody's-chest moment occurred in the second quarter, Josh? Mm. Can I just read for you these five plays? Yeah, please. <laughs> I mean, I did not see uh, Mr. Gore being a major contributor in the game, but give him credit. And uh, this speaks to what people want. Just can can we run the ball Especially when you get in the red zone or when you get closer to the end zone, because I thought that was really telling. But it's a five play series where it's Gore up the middle for nine, up the middle for seven, right guard for five, up the middle for nine, left end for three. Um, and he bounced it outside for the touchdown. Uh, um, now here comes questioning. Why was he not allowed to to run the ball anymore? I, I just he had a few more carries after his touchdown and after his five play sequence where he really um, jumped off the screen. I thought he hit the holes better than Darrell Williams. I mean, who's going to be the feature back next week? Um, because Clyde Rizalier is eligible for a return. Um, Darrell Williams has had moments, but he hasn't been as consistent as I thought he'd be. Uh, Derek Gore is, is a thing. Jarrett McKinnon, all of a sudden, not a thing. 
Starting to seem a little, maybe not Le'Veon Belly, but LaShawn McCoy-y. Uh, I'm going to stop getting excited about the veteran backs the Chiefs bring in on one year but he was, eventually. He was great in training camp. I mean, I, he was great in the preseason, too. I The Chiefs running back situation is an enigma, um, but it's a true, like, let's find whoever the best person is that day and mm-hmm. probably just ride that horse. They should have done more with Derek Gore. Um, but it's, it's a great moment for him. And I, and I don't, and I don't want to get lost in that because mm-hmm. he did score a touchdown. He, he was a part of the victory in the limited snaps that he got. He did actually make the most out of them. Um, I don't know how good of a receiver he is out of the backfield. We have not, he's not really been asked to do that. I've not really seen that much in practice or even in the preseason. He was more of a traditional, just hand him the ball. than let's see what he could do in that aspect of his position. Um, so that might be a reason why Daryl Williams was on the field more later in the game, uh, both for pass protection and, you know, outlet receiver responsibilities. Um, so that may be something I, I will try to get a more specific answer when it comes to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy this following week. But the running game is, uh, is something that needs to be nurtured. Um, in my opinion, the, like, I would tell the Green Bay Packers play too deep. Mm-hmm. Ah, I mean, why? Why would? Why would they have not forced anybody to change? Um, and you mentioned the great offensive line play. I mean, apparently Creed Humphrey is one of the best centers in the league. Yeah, in a matter of eight weeks. Yep, the best, like one of the best centers in the league, and he's a rookie. Trey Smith and Orlando Brown really enjoy. Run blocking. So my question to you, Josh, is can there be another game this season where Patrick Mahomes has 48 pass attempts? I mean, so uh, here's a few things that I'm going to use to answer that that question. Um, one is uh, to follow up on your offensive line point there. I'll, I'll give the uh, the shout out to my guy, Connor Christofferson here. He tweeted this out that every Chiefs offensive line on Monday night finished with a 75 or better pro football focus grade, which is fantastic. Now, also, as he points out, the bad side of it is that we're talking about this offense the way that we are, despite that performance from the offensive line. Yes. You get that from Derek Gore, who, to your other point, made the, I just made the note here of uh, you had five carries there on those five consecutive plays and six carries for the rest of the game combined, which seems kind of bonkers. And then your your question about Mahomes throwing the ball 48 times, he was uh, 15 of 15 with his passes behind the line of scrimmage. I went for 121 yards with 165 yards after the catch. That second number is not usually bigger than the first one there, folks. Um, usually the ball goes down the field a little bit. But uh, 15 of 15 behind the line of scrimmage, according to ESPN's next-gen stats. That is the most completions behind the line of scrimmage by any quarterback in a game since 2016. Six of those targets were Tyreek Hills, and, and three of those were McCole Hardman's. Some pop passes in there, screens, lots of checkdowns to Darrell Williams, etc. I think you guys both made the point earlier that if if Patrick Mahomes, if, if that pass sticks in Jarek McKinnon's face mask instead of bouncing up into the air, or if Josh Gordon catches it, or if you get 
one better throw on a big play. If Mahomes hits that one deep shot to Tyreek Hill instead of underthrowing it by a little bit. I think we're talking about this all pretty differently because on some level, 48 pass attempts for 5.7 yards Mm -hmm. on average, you Mm -hmm. know, with, with everything going dink and dunk is one of the ways they can combat everything we've talked about, you know, with how they've been played defensively. You've got two safeties 25 yards downfield. Throw the ball to Darrell Williams in the flat and see who gets to him and see how long it takes and see what your numbers advantage is. I think part of that is smart, but it just, without having any of those deep shots actually land, it still felt very constipated, despite the fact that there were stretches when it worked. So to answer your question, I think he can throw the ball 48 times in a game that they would win, but I don't think it can be a shot-for-shot remake of Monday Night Football. Yes. Um, And in terms of style in the coaching staff, trying to find favorable matchups, look, man, it might be time to be in that three tight end single back play action and, 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 and try to attack the defense that way. Um, it's again, it's just really compelling to me that I am making the argument that Patrick Mahomes should throw the ball less in a game Mm. Mm -hmm. to provide more balance, to be a little bit less predictable. Um, to let the offensive line be really good at run blocking the majority of the time that they're given, but also have a little bit more mix in terms of not pass blocking 50 times a game when that is not their core strength. Um, it's, it's a, it's just a compelling mix because I just want to see it for one game. And I know we're slightly getting ahead of ourselves, but that game might be against Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> like, yeah, it really might. Um, the, the one thing there that I'm just going to keep just just over and over repeating is that again, we're not talking about them running the ball for the sake of it. Like you mentioned, balance there. I'm yes, going to use that yes. word on on both directions. Balance for the sake of balance, or or God forbid, running the ball half the time and throwing the ball half the time Mm -hmm. is not the way to do it. And none of us are saying, they just got to go 50-50 and they'll figure it out. No, 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 no. It is is a purposeful response to the way that they're being defended. Yes, until you see differently, that allows you to adjust to the adjustment. Um, Man, it's it's tough because... uh, the turnovers are getting in the way of it. And I think one of the honest moments last night was when I realized, you know, cause as a reporter, sometimes you just want to kind of see the flow of like how a, a news conference is going. Obviously you've been there a ton of time, Josh, where you go into the news conference thinking, I'm going to ask about ABC. Mm-hmm. And then Two minutes in, you're like, scrap that. Let's get to EFG. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the G's that I got to in listening to Pat for like the first two minutes was, oh, not only is it a game plan issue, not only is it a scheme issue, not only is it an opponent um, who wants to make the game boring, 
man, you got so little chances now. And he's just never played in any brand of football in his life. Because again, y'all, Texas Tech was giving up 40s. (laughs) And he was like, cool, I'm going to be out here getting us 42. Uh, In high school, he played an exciting brand of football that I, you know, if you, if you, sometimes in like a very Disney, you know, Pixar way, hey, let's just, let's just roll through, let's just roll through some of the the high school film. Mm -hmm. Remember what you used to do? Remember how fundamentally unsound that was? But God, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, remember when the rules were just suggestions? Guys, he plays in a rule book now. Like, he can't really color the way he wants to color. There, there are no abstract moments. He's he's really like it is again, it's interesting to know he can now recognize I am playing a higher level of football than before, which demands more structure, more execution, more precision, both in the pass and the decision making, and quietly the footwork to where all of a sudden. I get maybe two shots mm. at an Instagram worthy play. And the NFL should make a rule against letting teams defend Patrick Mahomes this way. Cause it's not fun. It used to not. be so much fun. It's not. And so he sees that one deep pass. I see the one deep pass. I asked him about it and he's like, yeah, we have to capitalize on it because that moment may not come back against the Packers or against the Cowboys or against definitely against the Raiders because the Raiders have seen me do it too many times. Um, it's just, he he's having to play a game that is, that is really, really, really tough, especially when people aren't open. And I just want y'all to like, think about that. Like sitting in the pocket, unsure if somebody's going to be open and I can't make, the play that my body is physically created to make. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's, it's just an interesting thought process. And I think he revealed some truth there to say that, yeah, I'm only going to get two or three of those probably moving forward for the rest of the season. And he had, he hadn't quite said it that way yet. um, But that's what bore out against the giants. And thankfully uh, that you should turn the ball over on their last two possessions, which gave them a chance to win. Um, and I think Chiefs fans can hold dear and tight to that. But um, this is just it's just it's just not normal to him yet. And it's not comfortable. And you can see it. I, I This isn't going to be exactly one to one, but I've gotten jealous of how Seth is allowed to just read stuff on this show. Oh, yes. And so as you were talking there, I, I pulled up uh, a particular story written by you, Jason Jenks, and Rustin Dodd. And I'm just going to read this for people to hear after what you just explained. And I'm going to see if it makes everybody else as sad as it makes me. 
Uh, Mahomes didn't say much in Kansas City's quarterback meetings as a rookie. He was Alex Smith's understudy, and he knew it, so he generally spoke when spoken to. Coaches put plays up on the screen, hit pause, and asked quarterbacks what decision they'd make in that situation. Who would you go to to here? Would you hit the over or the under here? The over might be an 18-yard throw, the under around four yards. Mahomes wasn't looking at either. Bleep, he'd say. I'd throw the post. I'd look at him like, bleeping what? Assistant head coach Brad Childress said, laughing. Childress would study the screen again. Sure enough, there was a quarter safety standing flat-footed with a receiver about to blow past him, if the QP had enough arm to chuck at 65 yards and enough guts to try it, that is. Eventually, Childress would change his response. Yeah, he'd say, good idea. First of all, just such good writing in this entire story. I I still remember it. I still remember. Oh, the word is shit. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew that if Seth was here, he wouldn't want me to say it, you know? Uh, Childress's profane quote is the best one. And it's, yes. an, it's a word that starts with a U and ends with an I-N-G. Yes. It's very funny. Yes. Um, I know it's that's not that's not quite the exact same thing because I don't want to say that like Patrick Mahomes is now gun shy, right? Because I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's true. But I think that that story is such a good essence of Patrick Mahomes sort of story. And... Right now, defenses defenses are guarding yes. the post that he's talking about here, right? Like yes. he I, he's looking he he would love to throw it sixty five yards, and defenses respect that now. I it was funny to me when um, this afternoon I'm watching the game. I'm at the house, of course. Uh, Holly uh, is like, "You want to rewatch the game?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, we kind of go through the clips, and I just pause it. I do the same thing that you know assistant coaches do. There's a snap from the shotgun. The ball has not hit Patrick Mahomes' hands. It's in between Creed Humphrey and Patrick Mahomes. You know what the safeties are doing, Josh? 18 yards off the ball? Backpedaling. Going back. Yeah. And I told I told Holly, you know the you know, you know how many times I've seen this before this year? Zero kids. Yeah. On first downs. On first, not not like, hey, third and fifteen, you know, get deeper than the deepest. That. That's fine. Hey, fourth and fifteen, y'all. Um, might want to back up. Hell, hell, Mary. Yes, everybody understands. Hey, I can just start moving before the play truly begins. It's first and ten. And one thing I told Holly was one of the reasons why you could backpedal eighteen yards off the ball on first and ten. There's no running back in the backfield. Mm. It's five wide. You are giving the defense more information than they need. Yeah. And that does not help your superstar quarterback. So anyway, the Chiefs won that game. I don't know if we ever mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) 4-4. Good enough to not feel miserable. (laughs) Just barely, though. Like, it just, I I have, I mean, I said this in the open, I think, but I, I said this last night as well. Like, it just sort of felt like a tie. Because if they would have lost this game, this show would have had a much worse vibe. But it sort of just felt like a like a tie against a team that's not very good. But thank the Lord that they actually won that game just because I would feel like this would be a lot less fun in that alternate reality. Um, what will it feel like after Chiefs-Packers? I don't know. We can, we can talk about that later in the week. Um, but I think that's about all the time we have to talk about the trade deals um, we also kind of, we didn't spend much time on Laurent DuVernay-Tardif, but you, you did mention Nate, like obviously 
he wants to play. Yep. He might get a chance to play yes. in New York. Had only been active yet, uh, yesterday for the first time, as you mentioned earlier, this entire season, uh, which also means that his last snap as a chief is in a, a Super Bowl winning effort, which is kind of cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, he's been an incredible story that I feel like we should all be very feel very fortunate to have had sort of based in Kansas City. I've got a uh, a French speaking podcast that I'm going to be a guest Ooh. on tomorrow that I've that I've talked to two times exactly, uh, both around Laurent Duvernay Tardif and, and uh, you know, reasonably so. It's a cool story that I hope people I hope people remember him as as fondly as they remember anybody from that Super Bowl run. It's an incredible story that was again yeah. based in the, in the football team that if you're listening right now, you almost certainly root for. Yeah, and let's let's uh let's do something that just reminds fans how quickly these things change. There's no LDT, Mike Pinnell ain't walking through that door, mm. Kendall Fuller been gone, Sammy Watkins is on another team, Damian Williams, a lot of y'all wanted him to be back. He's not back. Mm-hmm. It just I mean Mitchell Schwartz um, Eric suffered Fisher. suffered an injury. Eric Fisher's with the Colts. Injury, you know. <sighs> Reggie Raglan, right? He was making tackles yesterday on Travis Kelsey, yep. and my heart was like, <gasps> "Yep." <laughs> it it's amazing how quickly these things change. But um, a very very fitting um way to honor Laurent Duvernay Tardy, who did more than any of his teammates last year in a lot of ways. And I mean that mm. truly. Yeah. Uh the sacrifice, the willingness to explain in great detail what it was like to try to combat the pandemic from a medical profession as a frontline worker um in his hometown back in Montreal. Uh and for him to do all of that and keep training for maybe the chance of coming back and helping the Chiefs. Um it's unfortunate he had a hand injury uh, he had a you know, fracture in his hand that sort of uh, complicated his chances of really getting into a rhythm in the preseason. And then obviously we know the rookies have done a marvelous job, all things considered. So um, it's crazy. I mean, Stefan Wasniewski. I mean, talk about a plug and play guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Austin Ryder on another team. Mm-hmm. Blake Bell left and came back. <laughs> Why'd you do that? No, did I take that from you? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, just I'm the just... idea that he left and came back. No, a little boomerang. The, the the point is the point is like no, dude, the, but you know, in a weird way, how like you know, um, the Eric Berries, the just Houston's, mm-hmm. the D Fords, like Laurent Duvernay Tardif was the last offensive lineman from the Super Bowl winning team, and it's a whole new group now. So. Yeah. Uh, the trade deadline, kids, it just, it comes and, uh, things happen. And now a four and four team is going to have to continue to rely on new pieces rather than the established core. Well, at least they're going to have a a nice layup next week. Whenever the green Bay Packers come to town on a basically week and a half of rest, you know, that should be a nice get right game for them. Oh, no, not maybe not. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, if you want to read Nate's work, of course you do that at theathletic.com. You can. Uh, I, I literally just if I start typing 
like the A in my my Google bar. Yeah, and baby. Just suggests Nate's author profile. Yeah, that baby. Specifically, um, you can read Seth's work at uh, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. Also, they're both on Twitter at by Nate Taylor at Real MN Chiefs Fan. I am at JB Briscoe, and we'll be back again later this week. Uh, we'll have a short week ourselves, I guess. Now, to uh, to eventually talk about. Chiefs Packers and what we think is going to happen there. And I think all three of us have tipped our hand a little bit and we're all not optimistic necessarily. Eh, well, you know, eh. we'll get there when we get there. Get us out of here so we can get a get a jump start on the remainder of our short week. I saw what everybody was saying. I know it's a conspiracy theory. I get it. You want to find answers when they don't feel like they're clear in front of you. It's not GEHA's problem. <laughs> it's not their fault okay like you don't think that the ghost of lamar hunt is haunting arrowhead until they get rid of their corporate sponsor i mean geha was just trying to get a little runoff on some chiefs success they not the ones on the field they not the ones making the calls they they not the one playing daniel sorensen again you know in a prime time game it's not G-A-H-A's phone. But it's okay. If you want, if you, hey, sometimes we have to do things irrationally. If you want to throw your anger at a healthcare, <laughs> then that's totally American of you. 